Hello and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 101 and we're reviewing Tokyo Godfathers. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. It is Christmas in August. You would typically do Christmas in July. I don't know why that's a thing here in the States. I don't it's... either. It's probably impatient people who are yeah. really, really eager to get more <laughs> Christmas in their lives. Yeah, but we're going to push it forward a month uh, for this movie. And I didn't even know that this was going to be a Christmas movie. Like when I heard the name Tokyo Godfathers, I thought of The Godfather. Yeah, like... I thought of like a gangster or mm-hmm. mafia film or something to that effect. This is... Definitely, definitely not like that. It does have a moment or a scene where there's like a a criminal family or whatever, uh, a rival family. So I guess that kind of played into it. But yeah, this was not what I was expecting. And then it kind of ties in with what happens at the very end of the movie. Uh, and yeah, it's just funny because the last movie that we had reviewed, I think was My Neighbor Totoro. And that was my first uh, Miyazaki film. This is going to be my first Satoshi Kon film. And is it I, really? Yeah, I haven't. I know of Perfect Blue. I think that's one of his more popular works. Uh, but I only had seen clips of it. I never watched the entire thing, and I didn't even know that this was a Satoshi Kon work until I looked up the director. And I know that this is a movie that's quite different from what he's previously done. Yeah, this is nothing like his normal work. So I would say you're not getting um, a, a, a good representation of what he's typically known for, but you are getting a, a good representation for just, I guess, his versatility um, and I guess the, the story crafting abilities that he had. Um, I've seen quite a number of his works. Um, some of them I don't remember because it was kind of a while back, but I saw Perfect Blue. I saw Paprika years ago, so I, I barely remember that. I've seen Paranoia Agent, um, obviously Tokyo Godfathers, and then Millennium Actress. So there's more that I could jump on. Um, I think a couple more, but yeah, I've, I've seen like the the highlights, I'd say. I think his last work, like he was mo- working on a movie, but then he had passed away due to, uh, I think it was pan- pancreatic cancer. Um, and that movie is still unfinished. Oh, Dreaming Machine, according to Wikipedia. Uh, but that movie is still unfinished and I think just still stuck in like production hell. I don't know if they ever intend to finish it, uh, but who knows? Maybe they put it on pause, a uh, permanent hiatus since he passed away. But yeah, that's um, that's interesting to note. But before we get into this particular movie, this particular work, Tokyo Godfathers, um, I guess we have not much to chat about, but just a, a reminder for our JoJo fans out there. So we are approaching the premiere of the next part of Stone Ocean, part six of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. That premieres on September 1st, again on Netflix as a batch release. But we will be returning um, over at Strictly JoJo, our Stone Ocean review series. If you're familiar with uh, Strictly JoJo, our other podcast, it's typically a bi-weekly release type of podcast. We release episodes every other Monday. But throughout the premiere, um, or I guess the, the airing of Stone Ocean, we move to a weekly format. So it's going to be the same for this um, the second part. We're going to have our first Stone Ocean episode, review episode premiere on September 5th. 
And then you can expect a review episode every single Monday until we get through all of the new 12 episodes that are releasing. It's actually going to be a big month for JoJo next month because I think the remaster for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All-Star Battle also releases in September. Oh, yeah, that's right. I can't wait to play that. Yeah, September 1st. And we had gotten the special edition that has a uh, a unique color variant for uh, Ben Presto, I believe, their Jolene figure. I feel like we're going to get this game before we even get the original Jolene figure that we had ordered or pre-ordered, which was just her anime colors. Yeah, I feel like pre-ordering figures, at least um, currently, is a gamble because with a lot of our figures, we've pre-ordered them when they were first available and we got them months and months later, like eight to nine months later. And even before they arrived to us, we, we saw them being sold in stores. And I'm like, I should have just waited and bought this in store. But, you know, eventually you get them and it's all good. So at some point we'll have two of the same Jolene figures in different colors. Oh, actually, it looks like both Stone Ocean Part 2 and the All-Star Battle R video game are releasing both on September 1st. So that's going to be a very joyful day for JoJo fans. I'm excited. It's going to be good. And if you're a JoJo fan and you haven't tuned into our other podcast, Strictly JoJo, be sure to do so. We love JoJo so much that we made an entirely separate podcast dedicated to that anime. And we cannot wait to review Stone Ocean. It's going to be awesome. And actually, one other bit of news, we have recently reached over 100 members in our Strictly Series Discord. Woohoo! Man, it's been a lot of 100s recently. Episode 100, 100 members on Discord. Over 100 <laughs> ratings on Spotify. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I just checked it, I think, this morning or yesterday. I'm checking it right now. I think we're almost at 130 ratings on Spotify. Um, let's see, let's see. Yeah, Currently 128. 128. Holy shit. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone. It's it's awesome to see the number jump so quickly because our goal was just getting to a hundred. That that was enough for us. Like that was more than we could ever ask for. And now we're we're creeping up on 130, not too long after reaching a hundred ratings on Spotify. So thank you so much for that. Um, thank you to anyone who's also rated us on uh, Apple Podcasts. That also is, uh, it's it's a huge help to us. And thank you to everyone who's joined our Discord. And also just thank you for such a high rating on Spotify. I think we're currently sitting at a 4.9. Which is awesome. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> Which means we're doing something right. I, I figured <laughs> like people don't want to hear us ramble about anime all the time, but I guess something's working. <laughs> so yeah thank you everyone for your support if you're not a member of our discord and are interested in joining the link to join is in the description for both the podcast and for these episodes and if you haven't yet give us a rating on spotify it's really easy you just have to have listened to at least five minutes of any of our episodes not even 30 seconds oh 30 seconds <laughs> i don't know why i thought five such minutes. a low commitment yeah and then you can just hit the the star icon on our splash page on spotify and then give us a rating. And also give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. I think we're um, at a much lower number of ratings on Apple Podcasts. But hey, like we said, anything, any little bit helps. So yeah, if you want to leave a rating, please do so. And we'd very much appreciate it. All right. So again, it's Christmas in August. We're talking about Tokyo Godfathers, which is a movie that we've both wanted to watch for a really, a really long time. 
Um, took us a while because we were waiting to watch it together. I then forgot that we promised we were going to watch it together and ended up watching it on my mm-hmm. own. And then you were like, what the hell? I thought we were going to wait and watch it together. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm so sorry. We'll watch it together and we'll review it on the podcast. So here we are. We, we've finally achieved that goal. Yes. because I, I, <laughs> One of us is just too eager of a McBeaver around here. Um, but yeah, watched this movie a couple of days ago. And just did a little bit of research. It's a movie that actually took inspiration from a 1948 American Western film, Three Godfathers, which starred John Wayne, Pilgrims. And I think both stories are based on a retelling of the story of the three wise men uh, from the story of the nativity in the Bible, which is about the birth of, of Jesus, which perfectly ties in to why this is a a christmas uh, like a, a christmas themed movie was the other movie like similar in any way to tokyo godfathers is it like christmas themed or about homeless people no it's just about these i guess that uh, looking at the plot on wikipedia they're called it's three rustlers who are the main characters or the main trio rustlers say, or wrestlers rustlers what's which, a rustler it says here that it's a term for a cattle raider, which is a person who steals cattle. A cattle raider? <laughs> These are like such new terms for me. Yeah. So I guess it's a, uh, another interesting community uh, to place as the, as the protagonist. But yeah, that movie just takes place in the Wild West. I don't think it's really themed around Christmas. It just... I think one of the characters just mentions how their trio is similar to the three wise men. Whereas Tokyo Godfathers, you have the the main cast of Gin, Hana, and Miyuki, who are like the three the three wise men in this story, but it's almost like a reversal where it's them trying to reunite an infant with its mother instead of seeking out an infant in a manger. Although in a way I guess the infant in this story is sort of like the the star in the story of the nativity that leads the wise men to the manger and in a way that's like leading them to enlightenment. Just as with the trio here, they come upon like a new chapter of renewal in their lives. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting themes in this movie. And as we said earlier, like for a Satoshi Kon film, this is drastically different than most of his works, most of the works that he's known for. Um, usually his works have incredibly dark, deep, in- intricate themes. Here we, we still have um, some depth and everything, but it's more of a heartwarming Christmas movie that tackles heavy themes in a way that is engaging, easily digestible, and like deep without being too deep. You know, like some of his his stuff mm-hmm. is like absolute mind fucks. And, and, and I say that in the, the greatest way um, here, I feel like you could watch this. And even if you don't, if you don't grasp or pay attention to the deeper meanings, you can still enjoy and appreciate this movie. Which I think putting it in the setting of Christmas, uh, it, it helps with grasping those, those themes and putting, not like sugarcoating them, but putting it in a way that makes it more palatable. And I was also reading some things about Satoshi Kon's other works where he likes to incorporate fantasy elements or blend fiction and reality together. You don't really get that with this movie, 
think it you could call it the more conventional movie in his repertoire. But I still think that in a way there are a couple divine forces in play with just the way that coincidences and chance circumstances happen throughout this movie. And I actually stumbled upon a, a WordPress article or analysis that someone did on Tokyo Godfathers. And it mentions that it takes a quote from an interview that Satoshi Kon did as to why like this movie is so drastically different from his others. Uh, just to pull from what he said, uh, he says, if you make things the same way as you always have, things can get redundant. With Tokyo Godfathers, we intentionally made the story simple and focused on exposing the background of the characters more. So it's kind of like he knows how, like you said, how how deep and how much of a mindfuck his movies are that he just decided for this one, we'll just go a different route. And we'll link the um, the WordPress article in our Discord when we share this episode. That way, if anyone wants to read it, they can take a, a, a deeper look at it. I would have to say, though, overall, I... I knew I was going to enjoy this movie, but I didn't know I was going to love this movie. And I love this movie. I think it's fantastic. It's fun. It's heartwarming. Um, it's unexpected. And it just, it all clicked. I think it was a really solid film. Do you think you liked it on the same level of like a Christmas movie like Elf? Or is it just you like this movie or you love this movie? standing on its own without the, the holiday theme standing on its own i don't mm. i think if it didn't have any elements of christmas um or new year's or what have you i think this would still be a great movie like i didn't get i know people are calling it like a christmas film because it's centered around or it takes place during christmas and there's a lot of references to christmas um however i didn't associate this with like a christmas movie i just associated this as like a fun heartwarming comedy yeah i can see that because i I think at the very heart of it this movie is just a a not so straightforward story but a story about family and belonging which are just timeless themes um, also just about a journey of these characters like reuniting with characters from the past or reconnecting with uh, characters from the past and reconciling with their past um, and in some sense too like you can see that with uh, Christmas or like the holidays where people kind of see it as a, a time of hope and renewal. So I think it, it, it works either way. I'll I think if you were to remove the Christmas element or even just not even uh, acknowledge the specific time period the movie is taking place, just that it's happening in winter, it wouldn't change the film. There'd be like small changes, but overall I don't think it would change the film. So that's that's probably why I less associate this with being like a holiday film um, than other movies where if you didn't have the Christmas element, it literally couldn't exist. With all that said and done, it's time to make some noise on this silent night as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for Tokyo Godfathers, which is a 2003 Japanese animated tragic comedy adventure film written and directed by Satoshi Kon and produced by Madhouse. The film is the third film that Kon directed and the second film that he both wrote and directed. Just to give context, uh, a couple of other Madhouse works include the original Trigun. I hate that we have to say original Trigun now. <laughs> uh, the original Death Note, although Death Note as the anime is still on its own. It's just the live action. And then the 2011 adaptation of Hunter x Hunter. And oh boy, you're in for a treat for this synopsis. Uh-oh. <laughs> Brace for impact. 
Twas the night before Christmas, and in Tokyo City, three creatures were stirring on a baby with pity. The infant was thrown in a dump with no care, but thankfully the trio was hanging round there. While all of Japan rest snug in their beds, and visions of KFC stuffed in their heads, the trio agreed and said to each other, We must away and find Kyoko's mother. To weddings, to konbinis, to cramped cemeteries, to nightclubs with hostesses dressed up like fairies, to hospitals where father makes up with daughter, to a bridge where a lady jumps into the water. But with a blink of an eye and a twist of their heads, Hana and Miyuki put a stop to her dread. Kyoko is back with her overjoyed mother, though one of these things is not like the other. Gin learns the truth and the trio gives chase, for that's not her mother, no, not at all the case. On top of a building, no crib for a bed, the counterfeit mother vows again to drop dead. But miracles happen with new chapters nigh, as baby Kyoko safely falls from the sky. United again with real father and mother, this story concludes, but unlike any other. The trio triumphant rests right on their laurels, with the title of godparents giving boost to their morals. As Miyuki sees father, we exclaim with delight, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Wow, holy <laughs> shit. That's why you were furiously typing up everything the other day when we were working on our notes. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you're tying it with the Christmas theme. Holy shit, that was awesome. Keeps- See, this, this is why you handle the synopsis and I handle, I guess, more of the analytical shit. I have no creative ability. I don't know how you came up with that. That was impressive. Thank you. It kept me in the holiday spirit, even though I am sweating balls right now. Even though it's fucking hot out. It's the middle of summer. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it just brings that holiday cheer, just putting that together. Well, okay. You know, normally with our our movie reviews, um, we we have more of a free-flowing conversation because, again, it's it's nothing that we can do episodically. We've tried doing it chronologically um, or in acts, but it's just easier for us to talk openly about it. So I'm thinking let's talk themes, right, because you you kind of set things up with the, um, the, the Christmas theme here, and that is one of the biggest themes that we have in this movie. Um, so what are your thoughts on Christmas being, I guess, a key theme? Maybe not a critical one because, again, you could remove that as an element, but it still seems to be a key theme of the story. Yeah, I think there are also just blatant references to Christmas, not just with all the all the holiday visuals thrown in our face. Uh, there are several references to the date December 25th. Uh, I think there was a locker key that the trio had ended up finding that was to locker 1225 the cab fare ended up being 1225 oh really yeah i know like the the taxi number for that cab was also 1225 yeah um the the spanish hitman uh i think his his wife was named maria uh just like with the virgin mary oh i didn't notice that yeah the mother of jesus um but yeah i think christmas again is is a an appropriate backdrop for this story just because of what I said before, what it symbolizes, which is like uh, uh, hope and and renewal with the story of Kyoko, the baby. It was this trio of characters who wanted to reunite it with its mother, even though it was unceremoniously thrown into a dumpster. And with the trio themselves, um, because they're kind of represented as down and out. I know that they are they're 
backstory shows that they had gotten homeless to this point, but I don't think it's focusing on them being homeless in like the, the, the economic sense, but more so homeless in that they've had very tragic pasts with their own families and with their own lives that it kind of just led them to this point. But like they, they kind of are not lost souls, but they don't have a, a defined place in life. Yeah. So th- in that sense, they're like homeless where they no longer have a connection with their family or with any sort of motivation. But they, they come together through this baby and through this this goal of uniting it with its mother where they're, they're led to come back into contact with their past and sort of reconcile with it and, and make a new chapter out of it to give them a renewed sense of hope. There's also a lot of mention by Hana about Kyoko being their present from God and being a, a Christmas miracle of sorts. Um, so yeah, I think Kyoko, the baby, really is that catalyst for all three of the main characters um, to find some sort of resolution to their their you know broken past, whatever those pasts are. Um, I think another big theme is families. I think that's that's probably the biggest theme mm-hmm. of all of them. Um, is family and the the main characters themselves are sort of like a family you know Hana being the mother Gin being the dad and Miyoki uh, plus Kyoko being the the daughters Um, we also learn about the main characters families that Hana um, you know had didn't really have a family um, growing up Miyuki has uh, had a falling out with her family recently and isn't sure if she's welcome there anymore um, and Gein, um was the reason that his family fell apart. We also see even like minor things like the um, the like Yakuza type of family um, when they go to the wedding or whatever, the wedding reception. Mm-hmm. That's a family there, right? The daughter is marrying the owner of the club. We see Sachiko's family, which is her and her husband. And they've both um, experienced a loss because she had a miscarriage. Um, we see the Hispanic family that Miyuki ends up um, spending some time with. So yeah, there's just a lot uh, revolving around family. Yeah, it's it's. I think the overarching thing is that it's different kinds of family. It's not just family through blood relations, um, especially with Hana, Gin, and Miyuki coming together. Like they're all, they're each from different walks of life. So yes, they they sort of become their own family, especially when Kyoko enters the picture. Again, that's uh, the baby. Like the baby is the one thing that brings them all together and you even see that with i think miyuki towards the middle of the film has a a dream about her her former family uh, i think because she had it was like she had stabbed her father because he was so overbearing and did something with her cat i don't yeah. know if he i don't know if it was clear if she if he did something to the cat or like if the cat got away because he was um he like neglected it or was mm-hmm. not paying attention or like what exactly happened there, but something happened with the cat in relation to the dad and that, that freaked her out. Yeah. And the, I think later she gets a newspaper or she finds a newspaper clipping of like something from her dad, like a message to her saying that the cat has come back home. And interestingly, the, the cat's name is Angel. Yeah. So again, tying <laughs> in with that Christmas theme. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with this dream, it slowly transitions into Miyuki thinking of 
Gin and Hana as her family, and then with Kyoko in the picture. So I think that was a very interesting concept for this movie to explore, which is like family isn't always defined by like blood relations. Even though towards the end of the film, I think that kind of gets uh, torn apart a little bit because you have the characters reconnecting with their respective families, which is fine, except for Hana. Like she still has to move on uh, with without her without her love who passed away. I think like slipping on soap in a bathtub. I think that's that's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but just exploring that dynamic again of the different makeups of families in the story. And then also the the kind of twisted thing with Sachiko, right? She, like, I think her character, it, it seemed a bit out of place for this movie because everything else was, was like slightly comedic. And then you have her story, which is sad, of course, right? She was supposed to have a child, but I think it, it died before birth. Like a, like a stillbirth, I want to say. Either, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if they clarified if it was like a miscarriage or a stillbirth, but something to, to that effect. Mm-hmm. But in order to help fill that void in her life, Sachiko goes to a hospital and, and in a sense, kidnaps Kyoko, claim, claiming her as her own. Um, so that's a, a, like a twisted sense of family. Like you understand why Sachiko is, is doing those things, but you know that um, it's it's not correct to do so and i think even miyuki calls her out on it by saying uh where is it why would you build a life by ruining another's i just love the variety in families too like despite family being a a strong theme and and being something that we see repeatedly um you know repeatedly appearing in this film every family dynamic is different so again like hana's family that's a, a case of like her i think growing up as some sort of like foster i think she may have said um and like having okay maybe her mother passed away or something to that effect i can't quite remember um yuki being like the runaway child of what is seemingly a a you know close-knit happy family mm-hmm. gin again like being the one that destroyed his family and now he's separate he's estranged from his wife and daughter or even um hana calling uh, I think the the boss of the nightclub mother. Yeah, like an adoptive right. mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like Sachiko's family, that's a family that's like going through a struggle. Um, we see a marriage of two families again with the, the boss's daughter marrying the, the owner of that club. So yeah, again, it is a nice variety of types of families and, and families that are going through different struggles or have different levels of happiness, I guess you could say. Um, and I think that's what keeps it interesting, despite just having the same type of family thrown in your face multiple times throughout the film. Yeah, I think it also just with family, it's boiling down to these characters wanting a, a sense of belonging, tying back with uh, the, the baby Kyoko. I think the main trio, they don't want, since Kyoko was just abandoned in, in the dumpster, they don't want her her to bear the same burdens that they are currently experiencing with having no no home or no real family. So I think the journey to kind of re- to reunite Kyoko with her parents is is sort of karmic in a sense that you know, the universe wants to bring the trio's lives back in balance by showing them again a, a, a newer meaning of family and reconnecting him reconnecting them with their old families as well. I think a sub theme of family is love and forgiveness. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of instances where people needed to forgive and move on. Um, Gein is, is one perfect case of that. Um, with his his daughter, um, them sort of reconciling whatever issues they had related to his gambling problems and wanting to move on and her offering to stay connected with him and offering her phone number and address and whatnot. Um, love and forgiveness around Miyuki and her father that he, you know, she says, oh, he's going to arrest me. He hates me, whatever. But the entire time he's searching hard to find her and just bring her home. So I think that's a another instance of that. And then I think Hana with the um with her adoptive mother at the club i think she apologized saying you know i I disappeared on you i I haven't been back to see you and her adoptive mother was just like i'm just so happy that you're even here um there was no sort of guilt placed on on hana for kind of you know peering out of the blue yeah you're actually right like each of their stories where they reconnect with their past and they kind of seek forgiveness they all play out very similarly where the, the the characters of their past they don't chastise them for having done what they had done they just more so welcome them and that kind of reminds me to bring this back to like sort of biblical things um a story a parable in the bible about the prodigal son or as office fans like to say the the prodigal the prodigal son (laughs) whatever michael tried (laughs) to say um so yeah that's a Another big theme, and I think I get kind of reconnecting with the theme of of Christmas and hope and renewal and trying to turn a new leaf in life. I think the last major theme, actually, there's one more like smaller one, the theme of Kyoko's, which I think means pure child. So it's, I think it's actually a local translation of the the title of the song Silent Night. But yeah, it it means pure child. And we see a lot of the female characters are named Kyoko, usually if they're they're specifically referenced as a daughter of somebody else. So Kyoko, the baby, um, despite whatever Kyoko's real name is, that's that's what Hana um, and and the group named her. The boss's daughter is named Kyoko. Um, Gein's daughter. Oh, the one that got married? Yeah, the one that got married. I didn't know that. Uh, Gein's daughter is named Kyoko. And then there was a slight reference. So if you can recall when Gein gets beat up by those teenagers and then they stop beating him up because one gets a phone call and basically says um, Kyo and the girls are waiting for us at a cafe or something like that. So I don't know if that was just like a smaller reference um, or if I'm overanalyzing that, but that could have also been like a Kyoko in that situation. There may have been other Kyokos that I'm not thinking of, but yeah, there were quite a number of them. I want to say another theme uh, or one more theme that kind of alluded to earlier is this idea that even though there really isn't any sort of fantasy elements in this film, there are forces at play. And I, I would call them like divine forces or as I called them earlier, like like karmic forces. Like that, coincidences or miracles? Of yeah, that allow these situations to play out the way that they do. And I think one one instance of that that you don't really notice at first, but the more like you start to see it a little bit more as the movie goes along, is that the environments sort of look like faces. And I can send examples of this. Um, in our yeah, I have Discord. no idea what you mean by that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I'm sending Courtney a couple screenshots of background environments that. I pulled 
where there are buildings with like uh what do you call those like sort of ac vents um and doorways that when you look closely they, they sort of look like faces and i think this is intentional uh because because it's satoshi Kon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's sort of like the city itself is a character watching these things happen and i i kind of want to say it's it's almost like these these sort of godlike figures that again it, it's it it could be divine it could just be pure coincidence but like just seeing how everything plays out and in a way kind of guiding these characters to to do what needs to be done to to reconnect their lives with their past or to find the the real mother for baby Kyoko. sent these pictures to my dad you did i was sitting here waiting i'm like wait are you gonna send these to oh, me oh no he's just gonna oh he's gonna text me back and say what are these or he's gonna say oh looks great he was uh, gonna be like are you okay yeah, i was like i was wondering why you weren't saying anything and i was wondering why you weren't sending them to me i'm like when are you gonna you keep talking you're really keeping you're you're continuing to talk and in my head i'm like is he gonna send them to me so i know what he's talking about oh man wait so did you send them to me now no i'm sending them now Oh, okay. I should have. I should have. I'll just ask your dad for them. It's okay. Oh my god, this is kind of like when you have um, you have a work email, and then there's something in there that you don't want to include, but then you accidentally hit send, and then you realize after the fact, and you just start freaking out. Oh, he's he's, he's typing. <laughs> oh my god, what is he saying? Oh, I'm just gonna say sorry. That was an accident. He's gonna call you and be like, "Are you in trouble? Are you okay?" <laughs> And yeah, these pictures, some of them are like they're dreary shots, right? They're like not, they're kind of void of color except for like blues and grays. So I don't know if he thinks I'm like, like spiraling right now. Uh, but yeah, I'll let you know what he says. Um, he's still typing away. Oh, Lord, that was, oh, gosh. There's a subreddit that I'm on while, while he's typing. I'm curious. Oh, he just it. said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's probably like, I'm not surprised by anything that's happening. Um, there's a subreddit that I'm part of that's called R. I'm going to butcher this. Pareidolia? P- Parade, uh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're in. P-A-R-E-I-D-O-L-I-A, which mm-hmm. that term is um, the tendency for perception to impose a meaningful interpretation Okay, well, this is kind of a complicated, uh, <laughs> complicated uh, uh, definition here, but it's essentially um, things that are recognizable as other objects, and most of these are like inanimate objects that look like a face, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what I thought of with the screenshots that you eventually sent over to me. I'm like, these would all be great for that subreddit. But you're right; I, I can see what you mean by like these faces in in the backgrounds, um, in the buildings, sort of watching over them. So, yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be in that, like, religious sense, but the way I interpret it is just that there are bigger forces at play in this story that and we'll, lead to all these coincidences. We'll share copies of these screenshots um, in, in the Discord as well. But, yeah, I think you're right. Coincidence is, again, one of the biggest themes that we have here, whether they are coincidences or maybe as like Hana often sees them as Christmas miracles. Um, it's just sort of like everything happening in the right place at the right time to lead our characters, our main characters from 
the starting point to the end point, which is reuniting Kyoko with her family. So let's talk a little bit about the characters. Let's talk a little bit about our main trio here of Hana, Gin, and Miyuki. So starting with Hana, I have to say best character by far. She is mm -hmm. absolutely hilarious, loving and caring, honest, <laughs> honest to a fault at certain points and wants the absolute best for Kyoko and Miyuki. And while she butts heads with Gin quite a lot, she, she definitely still cares about him. And I think a lot of that stems from her never really having a family growing up, but always wanting one. And the movie starts off with her saying, I want to have a kid and like just gushing over the idea of having a baby of her own. And that that wish comes true, um, I believe, on Christmas or Christmas Eve. And she's so committed, so dedicated to Kyoko, even when Gin often tells her in the beginning of the movie, especially to... Uh, to do what he thinks is the right thing and drop it, drop the baby off at the police station. I think, I think both methods are totally valid to drop Kyoko off at the police station or to take it upon themselves to um, protect her and get her, you know, back to her parent, uh, to her actual parents. But either way, like Hana, Hana stole the show. She was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think she was just the the most over exaggerated out of out of the trio even just the facial expressions that she makes um they could make for great meme faces or even like the, the emojis that we use in our discord uh but i think that would just do hana a disservice just because of how great she is no i think movie. hana's <laughs> facial expressions are, are are key for this movie especially when she's kind of like laying into gin i think about the hospital scene when Hana and Miyuki overhear the truth about Gin and his family. And Hana just like has, she's had enough at that point with Gin. And she just lays into him and tells Kyoko, his daughter, everything that, you know, that's true about him, that he's been lying and, you know, kind of twisting around the story with his family and just like putting him on the chopping block. But they, they over animate her face, I think, to emphasize how absolutely ridiculous Gin is being and how fed up she is with him. Oh, also, I, I forgot, like, just since we're talking about Hana, the, the, the bar that she works at is called Angel Tower. Oh, right? yeah. And then you have the, the, the quote-unquote angel that appears to Gein in the alleyway. Which is just it's a coworker. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and speaking of Gein, I, I think he's a bit controversial. He's a bit problematic. But he's sort of like the Sundere old fart of the group. Like, he's... He's kind of like the straight man, but not entirely the straight man, because then sometimes Miyuki's like the straight man of the group. And again, like he he just takes a more logical and sometimes lazy approach to everything. Like again, wanting to, in his words, like drop a baby off at a police station. Um and and I feel like he he feels that way about Kyoko the baby until he's reunited with his own daughter, Kyoko. And I think mm. that coupled with seeing the news report of the baby being kidnapped. Uh, makes him just kind of like gives him an attitude shift, right? Like most of the time he's complaining about the situation saying we shouldn't be doing this. We're homeless. And again, he, he brings up totally valid arguments. And I think he's saying these things because he's concerned about the safety of this baby and what's going to give the baby the, the best opportunity to be reunited with, you know, its actual parents. Um, but he he's kind of just like angry and anti everything up until this point. And I think reuniting with his own daughter fuels him to want to reunite Kyoko the baby with her own parents. And then at that point on, 
he like takes things into his own hands he goes and finds the husband in that like dumpy hikigomori apartment that he has um he even like chases after sachiko in the the truck putting his own life at risk because he's like pedaling furiously on that bicycle like he just goes above and beyond for the baby to try and um, help miyuki and hana you know reach that end goal i think another catalyst that adds to that um happens in the middle of the movie right before he gets beat up by the the teenage thugs is i think what happened with gin is that he developed like a, a gambling and a, a drinking addiction and that's what caused him to be so distanced from his wife and and his daughter and at some point i think he he gives up on finding uh miyuki and kyoko oh because they were uh taken hostage or Miyuki and Kyoko were taken hostage by the the hitman. Yeah, and, then, and Hana went after them. Right, and and so Gin just gives up, and he turns to the only thing that he knows, which is is just drinking, and then he stumbles upon that old man, and it, like he he helps the old man uh, back to like the, his 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 tent in that park, and it, it's clear that the old man is on his last breath, but he he whispers something that becomes more. That they get more context later, which is that he has something in in a bag, which would make him. I forgot what his wording was, but it, like it would make him the most important person in the city, and to just make sure that that uh, Gein holds on to that tightly. And I think we find out that it's the winning lottery ticket for like a a huge jackpot that's been going on for the holidays. And I think with this scene, Gein sees the old man as. It's kind of like a, what would you call it? Like like Christmas future, right? Yeah, like ghost this of is, Christmas future. Yeah, the ghost <laughs> of Christmas future. Like this is an example of what Gein is going to like turn out to be if he continues down the road that he is now where he's not being uh, like productive in life. He's distanced himself from everybody and is just kind of consumed with his lust for drinking and gambling because he could just end up like this old man who despite having this winning lottery ticket like he's already at the end of his life and by the way that scene has the to me the funniest moment of the entire movie (laughs) which is when gein thinks the guy died and his eyes are like half open so he like goes to close his eyelids but as he moves his hand down the guy's face and you see his eyes again they're like wide open and Gein freaks the fuck out he's like holy <laughs> shit I was not expecting that and it was just so funny and the old dude didn't even realize what was going on he's like can I just have more alcohol <laughs> the way that played out was so good it, it just mm-hmm. hit it hit perfectly I feel like I saw a similar scene in regular show do you remember that uh, there was an episode where Mordecai and Rigby, like they, they're obsessed with that, like the sitcom with a TV character. And then inside the TV, this is spoilers for a regular show, but inside the TV is just an old man and they help him find his, his goal. And then the old man rests his eyes or like he, he goes to rest. And then I think Rigby, either Rigby. Rigby or Mordecai try to close it. But then the guy's like, I'm not dead, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that exact scene, but I remember the episode that you're talking about. <laughs> It's like, save some room for dessert. That was the catchphrase <laughs> of the TV character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, regular show. That was, a, that was a good show. And we named Rigby after Rigby the yeah. raccoon. <laughs> How Our own Christmas miracle. Oh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we have Miyuki, who um, is probably the 
the most lost of the the trio. Um, she stabbed her father, who's a police officer, ran away from home because she's obviously afraid of what she did, but also afraid that he's going to arrest her, um, which, you know, could be a, a logical option for him. But I don't think she realizes until the very end of um, the movie that he is just wanting her to come home. And that plays mm -hmm. into, again, love and forgiveness. But Miyuki, I think, um, is the one who's most reluctant to be part of this, quote unquote, adopted family of like, you know, homeless people. Um, she, she tries to play coy a lot, but I think she does care very much and has a strong attachment to Hana and Gin, um, especially through their journey to uh, to get Kyoko to that end goal. Yeah, because it's clear, like, as as much as she wants to strike out on her own like it's it's there are many signs that point to her changing her tune so that she can seek forgiveness from her family i think one catalyst for that even though like i still think i still don't understand why the whole hitman thing played out i it was just something out of left field for this movie but it just leads i guess it's just one of those chance encounters chance coincidences right Where, i think they called like the the hitman's family a rival family so there mm -hmm. must have been some sort of like rivalry going on and they were trying to put a hit out on on the boss or whatever but mm -hmm. yeah i think of all of the elements of the movie that one was the most distant most disjointed yeah. it yeah. still worked but that one i was kind of like oh okay but i think that just led to miyuki uh bonding with the I want to say it was the hitman's uh, wife where they're looking through photo album. I think it's of Miyuki. Miyuki's pictures that she has. On yeah. Her. And she's just reminiscing about it. And even though like these characters are lost in translation because they're speaking different languages, you can see just how much they, they cherish the, the, the virtue of having a family and belonging to something. And I, like I'm pretty sure that that brings Miyuki to tears because she knows that's something that, or that's something that she's lost since she ran away from home. I do think there needs to be something addressed there when Miyuki's reaction to whatever was going on with her cat is to stab her dad. Like, yeah, you should probably like sit down and talk with your dad and like figure out what's going on there, and maybe there's like an underlying issue between her and her dad that kind of boiled up and and got her to that point, but. I think regardless of what's going on there, um, he just wanted her to come home. Like you could tell he just wanted her back safe and sound. It's, it's, it's again, tying into that love and forgiveness. Yeah, so it's kind of like Miyuki was the baby Kyoko of her father's life. Yeah, right? and looking at the main characters again, like Hana never really had a family but always wanted one. Gin had a family and didn't appreciate them and, and was the reason of his family broke up. Um, and then Miyuki has a family, um, has what Gin and Hana don't have, but doesn't realize what she has and thinks that they don't care about her, they don't love her, don't want her. So it's kind of interesting, again, the variety you're getting here when it comes to families. It's like they each have a piece of the other's puzzle. Yeah. But they're just from different puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why they work so, so great when they come together mm -hmm. for Kyoko's sake. So last section I have a story, but let's talk a little bit about animation and music before we get there. Um, I didn't have much to comment on with the music. I think it was appropriate for a Satoshi Kon film from that era. Like this came out in what, 2000? Early 2000s, yeah, so 2003. Yeah, so I, I think the music was expected from 
uh, from the time period and, and the people working on it. Um, I don't know if it's aged super well. It's kind of quirky, um, I guess, by like today's standards. Um, but I would say animation wise, I mean, amazing. Solid animation with that very Satoshi Kon look to it, um, as with all Satoshi Kon works. Like they, they have a similar uh, art style, character, uh, character design rooted in reality. And here, this is no no different. And again, the animation, especially for 2003, was just so smooth, so nice. It almost mm -hmm. reminded me of like those 90 OVAs, uh, 90s OVAs that just have like this incredibly clean, smooth, almost slightly realistic animation style. Like those random ones that have come out of nowhere and you watch and you're like, damn, this, this animation's so good compared to every other 90s piece of uh, anime work. So that's kind of the vibe it gave me um, knowing that it was a 2003 movie. Yeah, I think, uh, what was it? Cowboy Bebop, the movie, uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door. Yeah. Came out around the same time and you know, both of these pieces uh, have that same sort of fluidity in this animation that, uh, yeah, like you said, it just brings back very nostalgic vibes for, for me. Uh, I want to say like, I call it like exaggerated realism with the animation style and to kind of tie it in with uh it's not necessarily music but i guess sound or audio is that the voice cast for this film it doesn't use traditional like japanese seiyu like the ones who are are well versed in like in the anime industry it it uses actual japanese live action actors and it's kind of similar with what i think the approach was with Saint Onisan, the, the film that we reviewed, I think, earlier this year, or may, might have been the end of last year, is that by using these sort of quote unquote regular actors, it gives the characters even more of a sense of realism rather than the feeling that you're watching something created solely for the medium of anime. Uh, just because, again, this, this film, it, it's so deep-rooted in reality and providing a, a sort of boots-to-the-ground story with it with what it's expressing on screen. Uh, I can't really say much about the music, though. I know that coming from a, the music aficionado of, of, the, of our duo, um, I, I was just more so invested in the story and what was happening. And, you know, the music was just complimentary, complimentary to it. It didn't distract from what was going on. Um, the music was composed by Keichi Suzuki and I think the Moon Riders. I believe that's a group. Uh, let's see. What has Keichi Suzuki done before? Musical contributions to the video games Mother and Earthbound. Those are really old video games. Yeah. But I guess that kind of, again, fits in with uh, Satoshi Kon's direction. Um, yeah, the movie, I think the music was this very whimsical at, at times that reminded me of like um an 80s soundtrack with like some synthesizer in it and then at other times it jumps to what sound like italian folk songs or ballads with these elegant instruments so i think that kind of keeps it within the theme of like the holidays in that sense uh, so but not to say like the music was just all over the place i think it was just right for the scenes that they were used in. And last but certainly not least, and I think we've touched on a lot of this already, but still worth it to talk through it, is the story itself. I, I think 
holistically, it is a wild, crazy ride where a bunch of random shit happens that all falls into place for the bigger journey um, that the, the main characters are on with finding Kyoko's parents. Like, if someone were to ask me to boil down what this movie's about, um, it's about, you know, three homeless people finding a baby, looking to reunite it with its parents, and along the way, a bunch of random shit happens. <laughs> but again, it plays into... Guess it's into, an anime. Yeah, because it plays into the theme of coincidences, miracles, even luck, you could say. Um, and I think despite the crazy situations the main characters find themselves in, there's a pretty high level of realism throughout this film. You had mentioned realism in the animation style um, and the approach here. And I think I th in the fact that with Satoshi Kon's works, there's usually pretty big fantasy elements. This movie, I felt, while I did suspend my disbelief for certain parts, I think overall I didn't have to do that too much because the, it, it, it is just rooted in a certain strong level of realism like all of the the situations um that each of these characters even the minor characters are in they're all believable to a, a strong degree yeah um, and there are some like parallels that i noticed too or maybe some some coincidences too with some of these backstories and what's happened like i did notice that with um the lie that gein tells hana about his wife and daughter dying turns out to be the exact situation for gein's daughter kyoko uh her fiance which was the doctor remember she says like he lost his wife his child and his wife followed not too long after and now he's remarrying and he's remarrying me uh, and then mm -hmm. like Gein's issues with gambling parallel Sachiko's husband how he had issues with gambling that put a huge strain on the family I don't know if that was a catalyst to break the family up or if it was like Sachiko after losing the baby but that was another parallel parallel that I noticed or I guess a coincidence that I noticed and I still felt like those things were pretty realistic yeah and just also delving back into the, the theme of coincidences happening um and yeah i, I can see the, the thing with like a realism although I, towards the end of the movie the, the climax you know where they're on top of that building i got like many heart attacks every time that happened <laughs> and that, it, there again you see forces at play right where each of the characters is falling off of this building but then they're miraculously saved by the character before them until hana takes kyoko goes on that banner and I think you called it like rush hour style. The banner starts floating in midair so that they land safely. Oh on the yeah. Like from bottom. fucking uh rush hour. The one. first movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. It was very similar to that, but you're right. I think if there was a second, a second part of this movie that I think felt um, maybe not disjointed the way the rival uh, like Yakuza or the rival gang family felt, um, but that felt a little bit tougher to believe or connect with was was the actual like climactic ending. But it still works. Like it didn't bother me because it would have been a flatter ending had it not panned out that way. Like it al allowed for a more epic, exciting conclusion. Yeah, it gives that that hope and new beginning feel at the end, which they were building up to. So I would have been surprised. Even though kind of knowing what Satoshi Kon, like what his works kind of entail, like I'm, I'm glad that it ended up ending on a happier note. What did you think about that plot twist with Sachiko not being the biological mother and then like even kidnapping Kyoko? Like what did you think about that whole, because I think that 
that was like the big plot twist and i guess you could call sachiko kind of the antagonist of this film um what were your thoughts on that yeah i i was taken by surprise when it happened and like you can even tell by her mannerisms with with the child that she seemed obsessed with it and you knew something wasn't right and then we get the revelation from when Gein, I think he sees the, the report on the TV about the missing child, right? Um, so you, like you knew something was amiss, but as I said earlier, you, you kind of understand the situation that Sachiko's in and it's it's sort of like a, a reversal of the like what the trio wants to find in reconnecting with family or finding a new sense of meaning in the word family like this is sachiko's way of doing it but it's not a way that seems justifiable because as miyuki said you're you're taking someone else's life to fulfill your own life uh, or building your own life by ruining another's and that's not what the the main trio has been doing throughout this journey right it's like they're they're sort of building up each other by reuniting Kyoko with her mother and this and what Sachiko's doing is like the opposite until her husband helps her snap out of it. Yeah, I I thought that this plot twist was pleasantly unexpected. Um I kind of was waiting for some sort of drama, some sort of um conflict beyond, you know, just trying to find Kyoko's parents and I think this played really well into it even if it did create some uh, more like unbelievable situations. I think that Sachiko as sort of that antagonist and that that whole bit of drama um, panned out really well. And I think that they blended that drama with continual comedy or comedic elements that allowed it to still feel like it was part of this film and not feel like all of a sudden you're watching a different film. Because even though Sachiko is like clearly, you know, off her rocker and, and going crazy and, and you know, uh, driving through the streets with this baby just like laying there on, on this um, the seat next to her and she's being chased down, like all of this, they still had elements of comedy um, through the main characters, you know, doing their best to try and catch up to her, whether it was like the banter with Hana and the taxi driver or Gin trying to catch up on his bicycle. All of it played really well together. So the, I think it they they were very careful about how they they blended those two elements and i think it it worked really well and then you have like that surreal scene of kyoko speaking to sachiko saying i want to go home that was that was weird yeah. <laughs> that was a very satoshi kon yeah. thing though like that was mm. very hit uh i guess with sachiko i would have wanted a little better closure with her story because like i said like going to jail for stealing a baby and like trying to kill that baby by killing yourself as well like that's what mm -hmm. i want well yeah it was like the husband called out to her and then she just had a sudden about face like i didn't think that seemed too believable and it the the ending you know they do like a sort of where are they now at the very end where you see the trio in the hospital and and kyoko reunited with her actual parents you know i don't think you see anything with the uh, Sachiko or her husband. Yeah, and maybe that's fine. Maybe like it just needed to be the bit of drama that we needed in that moment, but we didn't need anything after that. Um, and I guess what were your thoughts on the actual ending? Like everything post rush hour moment. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. It it brought clarity again to why this this film is called Tokyo Godfathers because Kyoko's parents want to make these 
this homeless trio, the godparents to their 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 child. And that WordPress article that I mentioned earlier, it kind of summarized the movie in a very nice way where they, they write that the director's message is a cry of hope. If we want to give new life to an amoral society, we must start again from the new generations represented in Little Kyoko, baptizing them with positive, more human values. To do this, we need the right godfathers, people who have detached themselves from the ruthlessness of society, just like the protagonists of this movie. So it's it's sort of like with the trio, even though they're so down and out, they're really the ones, like like society may look up upon them as, as homeless, right? But they're really the ones who are standing up for the true values and virtues that everyone needs to embrace, again, which is family, love, reconnections, all that jazz. So I think it's it's appropriate that they serve as the 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 physical godfathers as well as the metaphorical godfathers for this film. Is that the sort of vibe that you got from the ending as well, or like uh, the film as a whole? Yeah, and and honestly, like I. I, I love the ending. I thought it was very satisfying, and I think it gave nice closure to the main characters. Um, and I, I think that it did have a, a a big message of hope for sure. And with Hana, you know, her biggest desire was to be a parent um, to a baby and to have a family, and she gets to become a godparent to Kyoko. Gein gets, um, you know, his struggles were with gambling and with money, and he ends up getting a winning lottery ticket for his money troubles. He may not know it at that moment, but he will when he looks in the bag and realizes what's in there. <laughs> and then Miyuki, it's reuniting with her dad. Uh, I think even though she's running away from him the entire film, I think deep down inside she wants to be with her family again and wants to be with her dad again, especially when she sees the newspaper listing that says Miyuki Angel has come home. Um, I think she just needed that little push to actually face her father. And this is clearly, <laughs> she can't w- get around this one, right? Like he's right there in the room unexpectedly. unexpectedly. Yeah. And like, I, I get how like the movie just ends on their reactions. I would have liked a post credits with just a little more clarity, but you know, I think the movie ended fine just at that moment of, of shock. Yeah, I know. I'm, I was kind of the same way. I'm like, I want to know what happens next. Like some sort of closure. I want to see like the, you know, the, the, conversation between Miyuki and her dad I want to see Gein realizing he won the lottery and you know maybe paying off his debts and getting his family back together I want to see Hana um you know getting to spend time with Kyoko and like Hana Gein and Miyuki still spending time together as like a trio even after you know maybe they've gone their their separate ways um I would have loved all of that but on the flip side yes if there was a, a kind of a not like a cliffhanger ending but a more abrupt ending that is still satisfying i think where they chose to end it didn't make me feel dissatisfied did make you feel dissatisfied D- didn't make me feel oh. dissatisfied. Wait, what did i say <laughs> like you said did make me feel oh if dissatisfied. i said that I, I meant to say did not make me feel dissatisfied no this <laughs> it left me feeling satisfied the perfect ending to a perfect christmas film and speaking of endings that brings us to our final thoughts for tokyo godfathers so how many Okyokoli Nights out of 10 would you give this film? I gave it a 9 out of 10. I think it is a a great movie, whether you consider it a Christmas movie, movie or just any type of uh, movie. I, I think it's it's fantastic. 
it is so funny, like genuinely funny, um, but also has a lot of heart to it, um, has that bit of drama that I think uh, it, it definitely needed. And it has a, a cast of characters, um, both the protagonist and even some of the uh, supporting or minor characters that you can just get behind and root for. Um, maybe not so much Sachiko, I don't know, maybe not so much her <laughs> husband, but most of the other characters, especially Hanagin and Miyuki, you're just rooting for them the entire time. You connect with them so easily because, again, a lot of this is rooted in reality and a lot of this is believable. And you just want the best for them because they're giving their all to give the best to Kyoko. What about you? Yeah, I would give this movie an eight and a half out of 10. I think it's a movie that vastly expands upon that old saying, a family is what you make it. And even though the events of this film are just seemingly guided by this infant child with a knack for the divine, much like the topmost figure of one of the world's most major religions, there's a story underneath the semi-religious overtones that I think anyone can appreciate, which is just that this is an unconventional, unorthodox, but heartwarming tale about second chances and getting a new lease on life while appreciating the people who surround you or have surrounded you as family, whether by blood or or not. Uh, I think the film does pique my interest into seeing other examples of Satoshi Kon's works. Although I feel like a, a movie like Perfect Blue is to Tokyo Godfathers what a ghost pepper is to a sugar cube. <laughs> Just how vastly different they are. So I, I think I'd have to prepare myself mentally for that. But just on its own, I think Tokyo, Tokyo Godfathers is a film that I would be glad to rewatch during the holidays just to give me those warm, fuzzy feelings and, and yuletide cheer because it's a bit too hot right now to harbor those sentiments as much as we've, we've done so throughout this review. Uh, so I would love to do a rewatch of this, you know, over Christmas with like watching Elf or The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. It's just such, add Tokyo Godfathers to the mix. It's such an easy watch that you can pick it up at any time with anybody. Um, yeah, I think it's a overall just a, a solid film that's so much fun to, to watch. Um, but yeah, hopefully everyone that's listening thought the same thing about Tokyo Godfathers. If you didn't, whether you had a similar opinion or a different opinion, let us know. We're always interested in hearing your guys' thoughts. You can reach out to us on social media, on our Discord, via email. But yeah, let us know what you thought about this crazy Christmas tale. And hope you all have a Merry Christmas in August. <laughs> <laughs> in several months um, in December if you celebrate Christmas or mm -hmm. whatever holiday you celebrate. If you want to celebrate it now in August, go for it, I guess. <laughs> well, in the Philippines, the Christmas season actually starts in September. Oh, so shit. Just well, there you go. Away. So this is like the pregame for for my folk. <laughs> Maybe we're... Um, we're we're not too far off with our review in August. We're, we're subconsciously preparing ourselves for the Filipino Christmas. Mm -hmm. But thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate you guys so, so much. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune into Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where we'll be starting our Stone Ocean review series pretty fucking soon. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.